0: Take our Bibles and go to Judges chapter nineteen. I don't know if you can remember a time to where you've walked into a room, and when you walk into the room, you say, "Boy, it's dark in here." And then after a while, when you stay in the room, your eyes be- become used to the dark, and what used to seem really dark doesn't seem so dark anymore. There's a preacher from years ago, Brother Pat, you're probably familiar with him, Vance Havner, a great evangelist, that had a theme, and this is decades ago in the U.S., that America, and in American Christianity, we are getting used to the dark. And this sermon this morning is something that I, I spoke about and referenced in last week's message as something that's been been weighing on me for quite some time. I know that most of us know that all is not well in America. And the question is, is, does the Bible have anything to say about it? And really, should the church and should the leaders of the church have any definitive word on not just what happens within the church walls, if we could call this building the church, but we know the church is actually what? Us. And not just about church activities and mission trips. But does God's Word have anything to say about culture? Not just ancient culture or first century Roman culture, but what does God's Word have to say about the things that we experience in the United States today? There's a statement, and you can find it there in your outline. It's by the great Russian novelist Fedor Dostoevsky. And it's this. If God does not exist, everything is permitted. In other words, when God is removed from government, and when God is removed from culture, and when God is extinguished from family, and when God is exiled from the marketplace and the workplace, then there is no longer, if you truly think about it, any objective absolute right and wrong. And it's interesting, if you've been following along with us in the book of Judges, that that's exactly the theme of the book of Judges, is it not? It was a day and a time in which everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Today, in our culture in America, we are told, that's fine if that's your truth, but my truth is this. In other words, there's no real wrong or right. For our country music fans, Moral Haggard wrote in 1982 the song, Are the Good Times Really Over for Good? I'm going to read you a few of the lyrics. He says, I wish a buck was still silver. It was back when the country was strong. Back before Elvis, before the Vietnam War came along. Before the Beatles and yesterday, when a man could still work and still would. Y'all okay? The best of the, Is the best of the free life behind us now are the good times really over for good. And the chorus says, are we rolling downhill like a snowball headed for hell with no kind of chance for the flag or the liberty bell? I wish a Ford and a Chevy could still last 10 years like they should. Is the best of the free life behind us now? Are the good times really over for good? I wish a Coke was still cola and a joint was a bad place to be. It was all back before Nixon lied to us all on TV. Before microwave ovens, ladies watch out. When a girl could still cook and still would, is the best of the free life behind us now? Or are the good times really over for good? Are the good times really over for good in the United States of America? And for us to accurately assess that question, we have to ask, what makes times good? In order for us to say that the good times are really over for good. If you have your Bibles, we're going to run through Judges chapter 19 through 21 and see possibly one of the most shocking stories in all of the Bible. Now, at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we believe in something called expository preaching. To exposit or exegetical preaching means to draw out from, which means that we open up the Bible and most of the time we walk through a passage or we walk through a book, step by step, verse by verse, story by story, word for word, because this is the authority, not just for Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but really for the world, whether they believe it or not. So we believe in preaching God's Word, and this is one of those stories that people say, Jeff, why would you ever talk about something that, boy, that crazy in church? Well, number one, it's in the Bible, and secondly, it's simply the next text that we come to in our series on Judges. But what we're going to look at is in these three chapters, what we're going to call progressive digression. Moral decay that leads to civil unrest. In other words, the beginning of the end for any community, country, or family. We find in chapter 19, absolute and total outrage that simply wasn't there. The story goes, there was a Levite. And those of you who read your Bibles carefully know that a Levite was a priest. He was the one to be a mediator between the people and God. There was a Levite who had a concubine. In other words, you had a preacher with a live-in girlfriend. And nobody seemed to see have a problem with it. In fact, the girl's father, if you want to read verses 1-9, through nine, the girl's father didn't really have a problem because she ran away from the Levite and went home. And the father, when the Levite came to get the man's daughter, invited the Levite in like nothing was wrong. The Levite stayed there for a number of days. And it's interesting in this time, just in the first few verses of chapter 19, guys, Hebrew culture had digressed to the point That the men had lost the cardinal virtue of what it means to be a man and it's in one word, responsibility. You say, Jeff, responsibility over what? To protect your wives and your daughters from opportunistic boys who can shave. We all okay? The father, hey, it's your life. I don't want to interfere. If that's what makes you happy, do it. Instead of a man of God that would say, the only thing that can keep you from destruction is to follow Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the story progresses there beginning in verse 10 through verse 21. This Levite, this preacher, and his live-in girlfriend go to a town called Gibeah in the area of the tribe of Benjamin. And there was a custom within the nation of Israel that if someone was traveling through your town and they stayed there at night, you didn't leave them in the courtyard for many reasons. But here we see a decay of cultural trust. Number one, we see a decay in marriage and the family leading to a breakdown of cultural trust. No one came to invite them into their home, but then an older man came and invited them into his home. And then we see, if you want to take a note in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 18, the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, get this, the men of Gibeah were Benjamites. They were full-bore Israelites. They should be men of God, but in fact, the men, certain men of the town of Gibeah, surrounded this older man's house and demanded that the Levite be sent out so that they could have relations with him in a gangbang style. The older man says, no, I don't want to give up my guest. Verse 24, this is almost exactly what Lot did. If you remember the story from Genesis, verse 24 in chapter 19, Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. And so the man seized his concubine, his preacher, and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And notice the callousness in verse 27. And her master, this so-called preacher, rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house. Notice this heartbreaking picture with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up! Let us be going. But there was no answer. Then He put her on the donkey, and the man rose and went away to his home. There was a breakdown of cultural trust and a breakdown of sexual morality. This was in Israel, but yet, you could take that and the blueprint of Sodom and Gomorrah and impose them upon one another and see very little difference at all. You see... Israelite culture in the latter times of the time of Judges had gone from being a light to the nations as it says in the book of Isaiah to scraping the very bottom of the barrel of moral depravity. Israel had gone from from a light to a golem like creature that resembled more Sodom and Gomorrah than it did the people of God. And then we see the decay of the sanctity of human life that led to a culture of violence. This Levite, instead of defending this woman, he simply threw her to the dogs. You notice that Lot didn't even do that. Lot didn't even go through it, but here you have the nation of Israel that sunk lower than Sodom and Gomorrah. The poor woman is gang-raped all night. She dies from the abuse. And then, in the latter verses of chapter 19, This may turn your stomach, but it's textual and it's true. The priest divides this young woman's body up into 12 parts and sends it to the four corners of Israel. Israel, the rest of the tribes are outraged in chapter 20. They come to call Benjamin to account saying, Surrender up those men who did this deed, but guess what? The concept of justice in Israelite culture, and especially in Benjamin, had so degraded to the point that the Benjamites defended the very men who did this. In verse 12 of chapter 20, the Bible says, And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now, therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjamites, notice, mark this in your Bibles, would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. And then the heartbreak continues in chapter 20. The other tribes of Israel form their armies. And there is a back and forth human wave tactic type of ancient warfare in which the Civil War wiped out tens of thousands of fellow Israelites and resulted that only 600 men of the, of the tribe of Benjamin survived. And then the presence of God fell upon the nation and the Israelites began to weep saying, "There, we've almost destroyed one of our very own tribes you say, Jeff, what is the point of the narrative? When you come to the very end of chapter 21, and the Benjamites barely survived, you find this refrain in verse 25. The last verse in the book, in fact. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, Israel's rejection of God and His standards... Begin to erode the very foundation of culture so that, if you're taking notes, so that this civil unrest that came from a degradation of morality led to a civil war that destabilized the culture, catch this, that made way for the king. Do we realize that in studying history that tyrants and dictators always rise from the ashes of cultural chaos don't they Hitler post-World War I Germany the Weimar Republic hyperinflation to the point that you would have to wheel wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow of German marks just to have enough to buy a loaf of bread people have no answers there's violence in the streets between the Nationalists, between the Communists, between the Nazis, between the political party of the old guard. And then from the ashes, someone arises that says, I will fix your problems. Tyrants can't get any oxygen in a nation that is grounded upon God's Word. Tyrants cannot get any room to maneuver and to flourish among a people that say right is right, and wrong is wrong. But if there is a group that says, we need, we want someone to fix our problems, it is the opportunistic time for the big one to move in. And here's what we want to go through together. How this account in the Old Testament has bearing with what you and I encounter today with getting used to the dark. Now I know that already in this sermon it's very tense, isn't it? Y'all sense that? You're like, man, last week was kind of a heavy one. Is this, another, is this another of those types of messages? Well, it's in the Bible. And the question for those of us who claim to love Jesus Christ is this. Do we love people enough to tell them the truth? Or do we like people only to the point that when we're going to possibly offend them by telling them the truth, that we back off and say, well, if you want to go to hell then I don't want to stand in your way. May it be that in the church of God, we love people so much that we're willing to be misunderstood. Amen? The decay of marriage in the family. You say, Jeff, how does marriage in the family actually decay? You remove the authority and the standard and you replace it with marriage in the family is designed to make you happy. Every married person in this room, probably at some point in their marriage, can say marriage is not there to make you happy. And I will not ask for an amen. Because that will get some of you in trouble. The Levite and the concubine in America today? We could be here till late tonight telling story after story after story after story of preachers who have fallen morally, running away with their secretaries, running away with women in the church, and sometimes we wonder why people don't trust the church. And it's not just that. There's story after story after story after story of removing the foundations of the family and marriage so that there is the rampant thing of divorce. Now, I'm going to be very careful here, but very plain. The Bible says that divorce is a sin. The Bible says that divorce is a sin. And here's what I've encountered in my short life in church. People say, Jeff, we want you to tiptoe around that so that you won't offend any people. Let's use the mantra of what we hear by politicians, whether they mean it or not, let's think about the children for just one moment. There needs to be a time in the church of Jesus Christ where people who have experienced the pain and the hurt of divorce come to a place of saying, Lord Jesus... That was an area of my life that I give to you. I'm asking for your cleansing, but I cannot defend it because what happens with families is that divorce tears children up. And I want to speak out of a broken heart for the children today. You say, no, Jeff, what about if, if someone left me? May God give you mercy and to heal your heart I'm not saying that in every divorce situation it's all one cookie cutter, but I'm saying that the division of the family that we see on an epic scale today tears children up. say, well, Jeff, what about me? I believe that Jesus Christ has cleansed me and it's a new day in my life. Amen! Right, church? Amen! Jesus can cleanse. Jesus can fix. But what has to happen is we have to stop hiding behind excuses and just say, honey, baby, mommy and daddy, was we were wrong. We were wrong. And we're asking your forgiveness and we believe that God can make something from that. But what we see most often is adults in our culture hiding behind excuses and throwing the children to the wolves by saying there's simply nothing wrong with it. There's an article that was published recently by Bowling Green University. And the study says marriage more than a century of change. And in the United States, the marriage rate has dropped from what it was in 1920, which was 92.3% to 31.1%. People are not getting married, but people are still having sex and living with people of the opposite gender. It's simply outside the bonds of marriage, and the Bible says that it's wrong. And by the way, if you want to increase the odds for divorce, live with somebody before you get married. Nobody wants it, but that's simply the facts. And when you think about the decay of marriage and the family... I don't know how much TV you watch, but you don't have to watch very much to see that the family, and especially guys, the men, you are under the crosshairs of the culture. You can't, you don't have to watch very much TV at all to see that the family is routinely made fun of, and the men are made fun of, and such a way to say that the mayor, that the family is not a big deal. Reality TV. It's a way for us to watch people that are more messed up than we are, right? And to feel good about ourselves. And most of the programs today, the dads have no answers and the kids have all of the answers. It's a war simply on the family. In the decay of cultural trust, in the time of judges, as we have noted a few moments ago, there were people in the town. The Levite and the concubine, even though they were not right, there was no cultural trust. Many of you can remember years ago that why would you take your keys out of the car? Because if you did, you might lose them. Today, there's a breakdown of cultural trust. Not only that, there's a decay among in regards to sexual morality. We see from politics in churches, to families, how there is a systematic, and we'll go ahead and use the word because it's accurate, there's a war on what it what sexuality actually is. And I want you to go with me on this thought for just a moment. If God does not exist, then there is no right and wrong in regard to sexual morality. We all have that down? If God does not exist, there is no standard. You and I are the result of random chance through mutation and so forth ever since the Big Bang. Even things such as child molestation, that's simply a cultural preference. You cannot make the argument based upon if God does not exist, that child molestation or that incest or really even rape, because in some cases that could propagate the species, is actually wrong. There's a war on God's plan for the family. And I wrote this, this note down that to declare war on God's plan for the family is to declare war on God Himself. The family of one man and one wife, one woman, for life, within the bonds of monogamous marriage, is God's plan. But yet, what you and I see, across the board, even in churches, with pastors who claim to love people and preach God's Word, there is a war upon the family to say that it's up for grabs. Then, when we study the Old Testament and even secular history, we see that a decay of morality always precedes a decay in the national ability of a nation to defend itself. The decline of Sodom and Gomorrah. We remember from studying the Old Testament, before the Israelites went into Canaan, there was absolute and total decay of sexual morality. And then Israel got to a certain point. God brought in the Assyrians to bring the Israelites to humility. And then Babylon invades and destroys Assyria. The Babylonians, you can read in the book of Daniel, became extremely sexually perverted. And God brings in the Medes and the Persians who destroy Babylon. And then a couple hundred years after that, there's a young man from the area, what we would call Greece today, named Alexander. And Alexander took over the whole known world. And one thing that we know from Alexander is that he was able to conquer the whole world but was not able to conquer himself. Drank himself to death at the age of 30. And then those of you who have studied history closely, within the Greek nation, there began to be rampant homosexuality, rampant sharing of women to where they were common property. If you've ever read Plato's Republic, that's what they say the good society is. Women are common property. Let them breed with the best soldiers. Therefore, we can create the strongest people. Hitler didn't get it all on his own. It goes way back. And then we know that the Romans were able to conquer the Greeks once the Greeks were morally bankrupt. And then as we study Roman culture and Roman society, as the Romans grew weaker and weaker and as their sexual perversion became greater and greater, the Germanic tribes came and invaded Rome and destroyed Rome. We know before... Uh, Napoleon took power in France. If you read the literature of that time, it was well known that the nation of France was like New Orleans. Pre-Katrina. But yet people today tell us that morality has nothing to do with culture and they couldn't be more wrong. But then it comes to us. We love Jesus Christ. We want to see people saved. We want to see families brought together. We want to see people love God with everything they have. Don't we, church? But I think the tendency, as we grow used to the dark, is to turn our eyes from doing what we do for the glory of God and for His name's sake to saying, I don't want to offend other people. Well, there's a hard truth. And this doesn't have anything to do with our attitude. doesn't have to do with the way that we present things. But if we truly fear God and stand up for what is right and speak out for the name of Jesus, we will offend people. And if we think that we can live for Jesus every day and in every way, and yet everyone will speak well of us and no one will be offended, we've been sold a bill of goods that's not true. Today in our culture, people are applauded for coming out of the closet. But yet Christians are routinely told, you need to keep your faith private. So with every measure of sexual perversion today, people clap. From the president on down to some churches and denominations now. But yet we're told, but Jesus needs to stay in the closet. You see, it's not an issue of equality. It's simply a manifestation of a long war against God. And since pornography has been legalized in the United States, I would encourage you to do this, if you have the Internet access, to go home and type in covenanteyes.com. It's the software that I use on my iPhone and my MacBook to keep me accountable. And I have accountability partners for every website that I go to. They get a list of that. So that's accountability for me to walk um, in truth in my Internet activity. But I encourage you to go listen to the Covenant Eyes podcast and the heartbreaking stories of these young women that have been caught up into the pornography industry. I'm telling you that in America, it's legal, but it's not right. And people say, well, once you turn 18, sure, there's no problem with it. Go listen to the heartbreaking stories of girls who on sets of the filming of pornos are crying because they can't go anymore and the producer says, you've signed up for eight hours, you do eight hours. Break your heart and cause at least, I hope, some smidge of righteous anger to well up somewhere. It, the pornography industry of what many people today say, you know, it's your choice. No, it is the brutalization the victimization of women. Some are just simply young girls right out of high school. But if the statistics are correct, the majority, the men in most churches are bound by it. I'd encourage you guys, if that's an issue in your life, even if it's not, Go join Covenant Eyes. You can also go to another website, xwatch3.com. It's free. Keep you accountable. You say, Jeff, man, I I feel so awkward right now because I I feel so convicted because that's been a recurring theme of my life. There are a couple of things that have been very wise words from pastors. Number one, when you're tempted to look upon what is legal, but what is a degradation of womanhood and sexual morality, think of that as someone's daughter. Secondly, think of that as someone's mom or future mom. Would you sit there and look at it and enjoy it? Their two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old son who probably doesn't have a dad is in the next room waiting to be fed? It's legal. It's your choice. Absolutely. We're not talking about creating a theocracy. We're speaking about people simply speaking about what's right. Then if you're tempted, which all men are, There are men who are tempted and then men who are liars. When you're tempted, pray for her. Pray for her. If a woman is engaged in that, it's probably evidence that she's not where she should be with Jesus Christ. She's probably not saved. A lot of background baggage because by the way, you don't just end up on set. It's not one day in the youth group the next day on set. It's a long road. Pray for her. The FBI reports sex trafficking in the United States of America, quote, Sex trafficking is the most common form of modern day slavery. But yet what we see in the church is that the church wants to be nice. We want to be polite. Friends, we should always be polite. We should be loving. We should be caring. But may God have mercy on us if we don't love people enough to tell them the truth. That's the question. Do we love people enough to tell them the truth? Then once there's a decay of sexual morality within any culture, we see a decay in the sanctity of human life that leads to a culture of violence. In the verses that we read earlier, the Levite gave up his concubines, threw her to the dogs. And we saw that brutal callousness that as she had endured that Hell, all night long he said, Get up! Let's be going. You see, when God's Word is removed, when this is no longer an authority, we have to think and conclude that people are no longer people. They're things to be used. They're no longer persons made in the image of God. But they're simply legal entities. The founders didn't think so. The founders of this country said that God has created all men. Help me out. How? Equal. Equal. In the eyes of God and in the image of God. And some of us look, but we, we look at Nazi Germany. And we say, how could they have done that? How could those guards and how could the leadership have actually gone through with that diabolical idea? Social Darwinism, which is Charles Darwin's macro theory of evolution, had come to be basically the cultural idea of all life. If evolution is true, there is no sanctity of life. We are simply higher animals and that's it. And in fact, the Germans thought that they were speeding up the process of evolution. So if God does not exist, then sure, it's culturally unfashionable to commit a genocide and to engineer a holocaust, but it's not actually wrong. Because man, I hear this all the time from students today. Well, if that's up to that culture and that individual, that may be the case, but we can't actually say that something's wrong. If you take that line of reasoning, then you cannot have talked to a Hitler youth and said what you're doing is absolutely wrong. Look down this statement. If defending the United States of America is patriotic then defending the most innocent and defenseless Americans should rank highest on the scales of patriotism. And we're speaking about abortion on demand. We live in a nation that is increasingly pro-life, but still in our state of Virginia, more people voted in this past election for the most extreme presidential candidate in American history, in regards to abortion, saying it's okay to have partial birth abortion. May God break our hearts, whether we are Republicans or Democrat or Constitution Party or Libertarian, may it break our hearts that in our state of Virginia, several hundred thousand people did not see the problem with it as opposed to the rest, whatever motives anyone had for voting. And I know this is not the type of stuff that you say to grow a church, we all right? This is not the type of stuff that people say, boy, I left, I am am fired up and ready to go. But it's simply the truth. And I love you, so I have to say it. And then second to finally, once there is the decay of the sexual morality and the view of humans as persons that have been made in the image of God, we see a decay of justice in the defense of what is shameful. In the tribe of Benjamin, instead of giving up those men that had committed that murder, they defended them. C.S. Lewis says this, certain things if not seen as lovely or detestable are not being correctly seen at all. And I just want to say something about the leadership of our Sheriff's Department in Franklin County. I praise God for the leadership of the Franklin County Sheriff's Department that allows Rocky Mount Baptist Church to have an optional Bible study for the inmates who would come on Saturday afternoon. And we don't have to have our head out of the ground that far to see that that is growing less and less. You need to thank our Sheriff for allowing the prisoners to be able to have the Gospel shared with them. Justice delayed is justice denied. And when justice is no longer a big deal, then we see a decay of peace that's leading to a loss of freedom. It's a statement from an article I read and I'll give it to you. Quote, Producing chaos benefits the aspiring totalitarian because, as the Founding Fathers understood, once the citizens lose the ability to maintain moral order for themselves, the state will impose its own morality from without. Starting with President Bush, we had the suspension of habeas corpus, which is, if you are arrested, you must be tried. You cannot be held indefinitely. But yet, that's the case still today. Edward Snowden, regardless of what you think of him, the NSA leaker, let the nation and the world know that all of our communication is monitored whether we have committed a crime or not. It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment and that is a guarantee against unreasonable searches and seizures. This is not a Democrat issue. This is not a Republican issue. But it's an amazing thing that the United States of America, the land of the, the free and the home of the brave, the government is watching everything. Ed Stetzer. Very wise. Very calm. Very amicable great personality man who works for he works for life way this is not left wing right wing stuff that you grab off the web he wrote an article and in the article he said and I quote unless we admit that there are some limits to Romans chapter 13 then government becomes like a God rather than an instrument of God when a government grows and grows and grows and grows freedom slowly slip away and if people say Jeff The USA will always be free only unless people are vigilant over liberty. It can slip away. It's not 1982, the day in which Merle Haggard wrote the song. It's not 1992. It's 2013. And I don't have to remind you of the IRS targeting certain groups. You see, here's the thing. And I believe that we have intelligent people in Rocky Mount Baptist Church that as the federal government grows and grows and grows, what will happen is if Christians do not speak out, what can be targeted toward a specific group now can easily swing in the future to whether you're left-wing or right-wing or central in regards to your politics. And yet what we have most often in America is most of us are distracted by sports, by recreational activities while the country is experiencing moral decay. You say, Jeff, what should we do about it as believers in Jesus Christ? Well, we should reject what the culture says about every person doing what is right in their own eyes. Instead, let us read God's Word every day and ask Him for the strength to be able to obey it and live it out. Francis Schaeffer said this, If God is dead, then man is dead too. And for those of us who love Jesus, we read His Word, we're concerned about the country. I hope that you are. And the question for us is, we believe God's Word, but do we complain about our culture or do we cry out to God for our culture? The end of Merle Haggard's song goes like this. Stop rolling downhill like a snowball headed for hell. Stand up for the flag and let's all ring the Liberty Bell. Let's make a Ford and a Chevy still last ten years like they should. The best of the free life is still yet to come. The good times are not over for good. And for someone who loves Jesus Christ... A Ford and a Chevy and a Toyota or a BMW, how long they run, or a Dodge truck, that doesn't matter. But let us hit our knees for our fellow Americans and for our world, saying, God, would You speak through me? Not simply to create some politicized Christianity, but Jesus, would You help me be simply salt and light in the midst of a darkened world? Because the tendency for you and I is when we take our eyes from this... And turn it to the culture is to grow used to the dark. But Jesus tells us that He is the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. And that whoever follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life.